Hello, and welcome to Book Club of One. I am Jacob, a librarian, and through the course of a year I read a lot of books. Join me as I detail and share my impressions of the books that have entertained or educated me the most. Still working through NetGalley titles? Three left to finish for April? One of them, a space horror audiobook. Summer looms and classes are winding down. And do you like Ted Leo? In 2017, he released an album, The Hangman, with I Used to Believe as track number two. This episode is being prepared just after Record Store Day. Any listeners go out and get anything? Out of all the exclusives, the only thing on my want list was the new pressing of the Dismemberment Plans Change from 2001 originally. But Thrift Books had been offering double points on all records, so I'd saved up to get a few things and earned some free books. My Family and Other Animals by Gerald Durrell, who was a white British conservationist, writer, naturalist, zookeeper, and television presenter. He founded a the Durrell Wildlife Conservation Trust, and the Jersey Zoo, the Channel Island of Jersey. He wrote approximately 40 books, mainly about his life as an animal collector and enthusiast. This was the most popular that has been adapted into one television film and two television series. He is the younger brother of Lawrence Durrell, writer of the Alexandria Quartet. This was first came to my attention as being featured as one of James Mustache's thousand books to read before you die, a book we've talked about a few times before. And this novel is an exaggerated and fictionalized account of Gerald Durrell's youth living with his family on the Greek island of Corfu in the mid to late 1930s. It is the first book in a trilogy, and it finds Gerald in his early teens and documents five years on the island in three separate villas. So, he has a large family, and the different relations are the widowed mother, who sees to the needs of the family, eldest son Larry, often writing or reading, pre, uh, treasuring his privacy, an older, uh, second, older or youngest brother, Leslie, who is quite mad for guns and constantly is hunting or shooting his weapons around the house, his sister Margot, who chief interests are the stereotypical ones of young women, diet, fashion, and boys. Jerry himself, uh, as he's referred to in this novel, the youngest nature obsessed, and his close companion, Roger the dog. The Durrells go to Corfu on a seeming whim and initially struggle to find somewhere to live that has the facilities they desire, which is an indoor bathroom. Eventually they find one and begin to form their own friendships and communities. They are also not struggling in any way, as their finances seem to endlessly cover their needs, especially when they need to feed over 100 people due to some uh, awkward circumstances, or instead of buying a boat, one is simply built. The narrative switches between Gerald's exploration of the natural world around uh, Corfus, such as learning about trapdoor spiders or observational life cycle of turtle, all the different creatures in the sea or the tide pools, and then switches to family adventures, sometime the two dovetail. Uh, the la later focused on the family adventures are often uh, comedic set pieces that grow out of misunderstandings or a specimen of Gerald's escaping or otherwise drawing attention. For example, there's a dinner of the scorpions, Gerald frequently also has a new tutor. They're coming and goings for a variety of reasons. 
The Durrells get caught up in local events, but also frequently host friends and try to avoid inviting additional family, particularly a great-aunt who might be suffering from illness or just be that way personality-wise. Originally published in 1950s and meant to portray a teen, the language uh, at times can be problematic. For example, Gerald names one of the geckos he observes Geronimo because, quote, his assaults on the insect life seem to me as cunning and well-planned as anything that that famous Red Indian achieved, end quote. And that was from the chapter Snow White Villa. Gideon the Ninth by Tasman Weir, a white New Zealand author of fantasy, science fiction, and horror. Her writings have appeared in Nightmare Magazine, the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, Fantasy Magazine, Weird Tales, and Clark's World. Her fiction has received nominations for the Nebula Award, the Shirley Jackson Award, the World Fantasy Award, and the U.G. Foster Memorial Award. This was her first novel and the first of the Locked Tomb series. I heard of this through many places, but the Tor email list shared it as a free download, I think, when the second book in the series came out. It's been on my reading list for a while. Gideon seeks to escape her repressed youth by joining the Emperor's army. However, Harrowhark, reverend daughter of the Ninth House, has other ideas, and Gideon is forced to serve as her knight protector in a deadly trial of wits and skill between all the houses. So in telling others of this book, I frequently tagged it as simply this, Necromancy in Space. In many of the reviews I looked at afterwards, um, they frequently make note of the third, first line, which in full is, quote, In the myriadic year of our Lord, the ten-thousandth year of the King Undyne, the kindly Prince of Death, Gideon Nav packed her sword, her shoes, and her dirty magazines, and she escaped from the House of the Ninth. As a first line, it's a little clunky, but it does set the stage quite well, showing that this is a story of science fiction, horror weirdness laced with humor. So we see the the... King Undyne gets a little praise, as we contemporarily see in Muhammad, praise be his name. Uh, we also see, again, that, that humor in there from the beginning, and very quickly learn that this is not Gideon's first escape attempt, just the most recent and closest so far to success. Uh, the novel itself is a violent locked-room mystery, Representatives of the Nine House have gathered to seek the knowledge to become lictors, immortal necromancers revered as saints who serve as the Emperor's hand. But everyone from the Nine Houses' representatives have arrived, but they all can't succeed. Each of the houses has different strengths. Some can talk to ghosts, others can siphon the soul, and some can raise and control skeletons. Harrow and Gideon are forced to settle their differences and work together to solve these puzzles. But will anyone make it out alive? Or will the Emperor have to make other plans? Tress of the Emerald Sea by Brandon Sanderson, a white American science fiction and fantasy author and podcaster. His works are mostly centered on the Cosmere fictional universe. This show has mentioned him a lot. He was last featured in episode number 73 for the book Skyward. So we've talked about Brando Sando before, uh, and this is the first book of the four Kickstarter titles to be released this year in 2023. Second one has been released. I have no idea when I'll get to it. Tress of the Emerald Sea is a retelling of the Princess Bride with a stronger central female character. Tress goes on a hero's journey from the only life she has ever known in pursuit of her lost, quote, friend, end quote, Charlie. 
So this is, again, a coming-of-age hero's journey about a young woman who lives on a small island. Uh, and for the world-building, the planet has 12 moons that produce ether that rains down onto the surface as different types of spores that form the seas of the world. When exposed to water, these spores do different things, but almost all the results are bad for human life. Charlie, Tressa's lost love, was the heir of the island and was kidnapped by the evil sorceress as he was sent about to try and find a, ma uh, a wife. The royal family simply preferred to replace him rather than pay the ransom, so Tress must go off as she is the only one willing to rescue him. For those familiar with the Cosmere, Hoyd is our narrator and appears in the narrative as one of the characters. His typical role is as a storyteller, and here it is no different, though his circumstances are a little more circumscribed than normal. Like with the Stormlight Archive sphere system, some of the world mechanics are overexplained. For example, at one point, Tress begins to experiment with spore use, and we get a lengthy section about how cannonballs work in this planet. Overall, though, it's a nice, sweet, standalone adventure that would serve as a nice starting point to the, for those unfamiliar with Sanderson's writing. And if you can, try to access a print or ebook edition, as there are some lovely and detailed artwork by Howard Lyon that help emphasize certain plot points. Shubek Lubek by Dina Mohammed, an Egyptian graphic designer, illustrator, and graphic novelist. She debuted at 18 with her webcomic Kahera, last updated in 2019, that combined Islamic and feminist values. She has collaborated with various advocacy groups to create informational comics. I'm not sure initially where I first heard of this book, but possibly through the Penguin's Random House website. Pantheon, the publisher, is somehow affiliated with them. This book was originally published in 2015, but is uh, here fully in its length as well as uh, translated to English. Uh, the fantastical story shows Cairo where wishes are literally for sale. We follow the journeys of three individuals, Asia, Noor, and Shokri, as they struggle to make their deepest desires come true. So this is magical realism, but quite different from Sanderson or fantastical stories. In this world, wishes can be bought and come true, but there are differing degrees of wishes. Third-class wishes uh, are the most common and can be bought and opened from a can, but tend to backfire. Uh, because they require being quite clear uh, with no wiggle room in your, your wish creation. So, for example, uh, uh, one of the examples we see very early in the book is a poor person, or poor as in suffering, uh, who wishes to lose weight and instead has limbs fall off her body. First-class wishes are licensed by the government and come in fancy glass bottles, and these are guaranteed to come true. So, in the story, we see some organizations uh, seeking funding to get wishes to cure someone of cancer, or if, uh, one could wish for a dinosaur or a flying car, which are examples we see in here, just tangential, that those aren't tied to the plot. The, overall, the main character across all three of the stories is Shokri, uh, who owns a newsstand and is a devout Muslim who believes his faith forbids him to use the wishes he seeks to sell them, and they are a bit of a heirloom having been passed through the family. So the first section uh, centers on Asia, a poor young woman seeking to atone for a mistake in her past, and she struggles to find a wish, falling afoul of government bureaucracy. The second story looks at Noor, a depressed young man pursuing a college degree who is going through a mental health crisis. His day-to-day -day moods, he keeps track of uh, 
by drawing a mood chart showing where his baseline is, and they fluctuate quite a bit day-to-day, uh, -day, but they are helpful when he eventually is able to speak to a mental health professional by showing that every day is different, and some days are fine, but others are quite difficult. And the last story is about an old woman who has regularly visited the kiosk for cigarettes for years, but is now nearing the end of her life. In a slight inversion, Shokri is trying to get the old woman to accept the wish to cure herself and extend her life, but they have uh, she is unwilling to accept the wish as setting up this conflict. In between each of these three stories, there are bits of world-building talking through the different hazards and rules of wishes or organizations or the governmental regulations. Again, in basic, the higher grade the wish, the better the results, but they are clear commodities. Life or death for the poor, but playthings for the wealthy. Uh, one can even pursue a degree in wish studies. We see Noor in classes for this where a professor talk, talks through some of the complexities and thoughts that should go into making a wish. In other words, wishes function much as wealth does in our world. It is a very well thought out and developed world, and it features different areas and peoples of Cairo, but they all visit one little newsstand kiosk. This is what it sounds like, what the music you love says about you, by Susan Rogers, who is an American professor, sound engineer, and record producer. She is best known for her work with Prince during his 1980s commercial peak. She has also worked with the Bare Naked Ladies, Toad the Wet Sprocket, David Byrne, and many others. In 2000, she left the music business to pursue an academic career, earning a doctorate in music cognition and psychoacoustics in 2010 from McGill University. This book is co-written with Ogi Ogas, an American writer and doctoral trainer uh, as a computational neuroscientist. Since May 2016, he has served as the project head for the Individual Master Project, which seeks to understand the development of individual excellence. Ogas is probably best known for appearing on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire in 2006 and 22 appearances as Ask the Expert Lifeline on the same show. I found this uh, in the new books at my local library. It's a mix of Roger's biography with a journey into the science of music and listening. It seeks to offer some ideas on why we like what we like. So this book also has a companion website with sample playlists and some of the uh, specific sound experiments that you can test on your own, uh, as well as supplemental resources for those listening to it as an audiobook. It is mostly a chance to explore music in different ways, allowing you to constantly think of songs you like and what appeals to you about them. It is a unique, in these days, outside of parties or concerts, a personal activity to listen to music. Rogers refers to how it can be helpful to share songs to create a common language. If you are ever to record with a producer, listening to some of the other artists they've worked with can help give you an idea of what they do, as well as sharing things you've been influenced by, or perhaps what kind of sound you're aiming to have recorded. The sections about exploring your own interests and what appeals to you of music are devoted to first, lyrics, the words of a song, second, melody, the sequence of notes that is musically satisfying, third is rhythm, the strong repeated pattern of movement or sound, uh, and then timbre, a character of quality of musical sound or voice as distinct from pitch and its intensity. Overall, I think I tend to be drawn to lyrics or melody the most. Some off-point lyrics off the top of my head, uh, such as Muse's song, Muscle Museum, has one line, which is, I have played in every toilet, but you still want to spoil it. I mean, I know they were aiming for the rhyme, 
but really wish they'd had chosen a different word. Still better than their song, Psycho. Maybe Muse is more appealing when it comes to their melody and rhythm and ridiculous live shows. But anyway, uh, it's nice to have Rogers share some of her personal experience, even if she helped one week enter the world. I can see this as being an interesting book for a book club or more than one person, or a class discussion that gives people the chance to show their tastes and talk about what they like, and really just fuel discussion and a sharing of music. This episode's Reading Soon in Progress book is Material World, a global family portrait by Peter Menzel. Sixteen of the world's foremost photographers traveled to 30 nations around the globe to live for a week with families that were statistically average for that nation. At the end of each visit, photographer and family collaborated on a portrait of the family members outside their home, surrounded by all of their possessions. A few jars and jugs for some, an explosion of electronic gadgetry for others. This book puts a human face on the issues of population, environment, social justice, and consumption as it illuminates the crucial question facing our species today. Can all six billion of us have all the things we want? End quote. That's adapted from Goodreads. This has been another episode of Book Club of One. Thank you for listening. I welcome constructive criticism and book recommendations, or even if you found a book through this episode and want to share the story, feel free to reach out through Instagram and Gmail at Book Club of Uno. Book Club of One is recorded and distributed by Anchor.fm. And remember, no one should be shamed for reading.